Who is a person, living or dead, who you admire for his or her courage? I want you to think about that. Have someone in mind. And what did he or she do? Why do you admire him or her? Two people for me are Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain and Dick Winters, who served in the U.S. Army in the U.S. Civil War and in World War II, respect, respectively. Some people today might say Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. But courage is not limited to those in the military or to those who are heads of state. Courage is frequently shown by people who are largely unknown except to those who are closest to them. And there are many forms of courage, from physical courage in battle or in a trial that tests one's physical strength and endurance, like when you're adrift at sea, such as Eddie Rickenbacker and Louis Zamperini were during World War II in the Pacific Ocean. There is the courage of mothers trying to care for their children and to protect them in terrible circumstances. Courage is a virtue that I think is universally admired and it helps you in almost any situation that you're facing in life. There is no courage, however, without fear. Because without situations that make you afraid, there would be no need for courage, right? Well, today's scripture is about a time when courage is needed. And Doreen gave you some of the background. It's the year 520 B.C. And the Lord sends the prophet Haggai to bring inspiration and motivation to the people of God who are living in difficult times economically, politically, socially, and spiritually. The nation of Judah had been an independent country with its own king with defined borders, with a decent agriculturally-based economy, all centered spiritually around worshiping God at the magnificent temple built by Solomon. But now, now they are a conquered, defeated people, a small province at the western outskirts of the Persian Empire. A terrible drought has devastated the crops and limited the supply of food. All that remains of the once magnificent temple is a burned out shell of a building and a small half-hearted attempt at rebuilding it that was still not complete some 16 years later. The relationship between the people returning from exile in Babylon and those who had remained in Judah working the land was often contentious and divisive as disputes arose over land ownership as people tried to eke out a living. And to this politically impotent, economically depressed, socially divided, spiritually fearful and discouraged group of people, the Lord sends the prophet Haggai. Listen to our scripture as we pick it up in chapter 1. In the second year of King Darius, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, 
and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you that saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Is it not in your sight as nothing? Yet now, take courage, O Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Take courage, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Take courage, all you people of the land, says the Lord. Work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the promise that I made you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit abides among you. Do not fear, for thus says the Lord of hosts, once again in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasure of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with splendor, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give prosperity, says the Lord of hosts. This is God's word for us for today. Well, Haggai takes on the task of leadership at a time when it's desperately needed. In his time and in ours, the task of leaders is to create a sense of urgency to embrace change, and to bring clarity to the mission that God calls us to do. That's the task of leaders. And that's exactly what we see Haggai is doing. The Lord has several things to say through the prophet. And as I was reading through the book this week once again, one phrase that just kept coming to me over and over is, things get worse until you put God first. Things get worse until you put God first. In chapter 1, the Lord asks the people to consider how they're doing. How's life going? Well, God is pushed aside rather than first in their lives. And the answer to that is lousy. And much like the book of Deuteronomy, Haggai ties obedience with prosperity and disobedience with difficulty. And there's a certain degree to which that is the case. Now, please understand, I am not saying that if you put God first in your life, then your life is going to be nothing but blessings and nothing bad will ever happen to you or anyone you care about and you'll never get sick and you'll never have adversity. We know that's not true. Some of the most faithful people who have ever lived have endured poverty, physically debilitating conditions, and even persecution, even martyrdom. John the Baptist, Jesus, and Stephen were fairly faithful, obedient people. And they all were killed because of their faithful obedience. So again, don't hear me saying, if you, if you have faith, everything's going to be sweetness and light, as my mother used to say. However, I believe it's also true that when you don't put God first in your life, Life often goes from bad to worse. Things get worse until you put God first. This was certainly the experience of the people in Haggai's day. They didn't have enough food. They didn't have enough, they didn't have enough of anything. 
And when we look at our own culture and the selfishness, the materialism, the violence, the abuse, the hypocrisy, let's be honest, the same can be said about us. The Lord says things are bad because people have neglected God's presence and place in their lives and in their community. And the prophet's message in response to this down and out situation is somewhat unusual for the prophets based on what we've seen because Haggai says, hey, we got to rebuild the temple. We need to give witness to God's presence and power and centrality in our lives, even and especially in difficult times. Now, in the Bible, we've seen that the prophets are almost universally down on a temple or even the idea of a temple, including the prophets Nathan, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, for example. They're critical for a variety of reasons. Even before a temple was built, the prophet Nathan was reminding King David how early in Israel's history, because David was already thinking, you know, it'd be great for me to build a magnificent temple that every time someone looked at it, they think, oh, what amazing king David was. And Nathan reminds David, hey, you remember how under the leadership of Moses, God's people were always on the move, following wherever God led. And Isaiah and the prophets expressed the Lord's frankly, discuss towards sacrificing multitudes of animals all the time and having all these solemn rituals and assemblies while not doing justice, not ceasing to do evil, not helping those in need, which God was more concerned about. And folks got so wrapped up in that magnificent temple that Solomon built that they missed who God wanted them to be and what God wanted them to do as God's people. Well, now by Haggai's time, the fabulous and opulent temple was nothing but a burned-out wreck. And changing circumstances sometimes require changes in thinking. And so the Lord conveys through the prophet that as long as the temple is neglected, which is symbolic of the Lord remaining low on the people's priority list, instead of God helping to shape their priorities, God says, look, as long as you neglect me, there's going to be trouble. Part of why I'm very glad, as Jill said this morning, I'm really happy we're taking such good of our building, good care of our building, right? The Lord can't say we're neglecting the Lord's house here at BBC. Notice the lovely paint job. But if God is saying through the prophet, though, that God yearns to enter into a deeper relationship with the people. And having the focus of, let's rebuild the temple. It will serve to unite the people while restoring their spirits and giving them some hope as they look toward the future. But we also know that whenever work goes forward, that always leads to new challenges. And in this case, it was some people having the wrong attitude and mourning what they had lost, waxing nostalgic about the old days when Solomon's temple was there rather than continuing to praise God for the fact that they were still alive and for all that they still had and what remained. And that was a danger not only then, but it's a danger for the church today. And I mean church with a capital C, not just our congregation. And some of the older generation in Haggai's day recognized that, you know what, that new building, it really doesn't compare well with the old one built by Solomon. The second temple, Ezra says, was nothing in their sight. And it may be true that the older we get, the more difficult it can become to look forward with hope 
as our body ages and changes, as we're not able to do quite what we used to be able to do, as more of our life lies behind us rather than ahead of us, and I'm not picking on anybody, this is true for me, And the criticism of those older people back then, it could have been contagious, potentially infecting and hindering the perceptions and activities of those who were younger and had never even seen that former temple and were just glad they were going to have a new one. And regardless of our age, we know it's often easier to complain than to compliment, to criticize rather than to constructively assist, to tear down rather than to build up. And often we can end up complaining against the people who are working the hardest or doing the most for us, whether in our families or work or at school or church or anywhere. It's easier to complain than it is to propose answers or possible solutions. And our attitude and our approach to challenges in life makes a huge difference. Because we choose how we go through any trial, any test that we face. We choose our attitude. And the Lord basically says through the prophet, dedication to the task is more important than nostalgia for the past. Dedication to the task is more important than nostalgia for the past. Just like Jesus says in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Haggai is trying to help move God's people into the future. But some folks are hesitant, they're reluctant, they're fearful, they're skeptical and thus unable to help make God's future a reality. And that's a problem. And so here comes the prophet trying to solve this problem. And he says, take courage. Take courage. Courage is needed because it's easy to be fearful or negative, to have no faith or to lose our faith. It's easy to be scared in the face of whatever challenge you are facing in your life today. It's easy to be scared. And God knows that the political and religious leaders, Zerubbabel and Joshua, that they need courage. He knows that the remnant of the people, that they need courage. So he tells each one of them, take courage. Because you can be paralyzed by fear. You can suffer paralysis by analysis and do nothing. And God says, take courage and work, for I am with you. My spirit abides among you. Do not fear. God's spirit stands in our midst. And when the Lord says, take courage and work, God is speaking concerning both your attitude and your effort. And through our relationship with the Lord and trusting in God's promises, We're to cultivate an attitude of courage and faith, of believing that nothing, as Jesus said, truly will be impossible with God. People of faith and vision need the right attitude. But friends, you also have to work. There are things that will not happen in your life if you don't do it. And if you're not willing to work and invest your time and your energy and your resources and your ideas, then you need to ask yourself, how am I really impacting my family or my church or my workplace or your school or your neighborhood or our country? Am I doing it in the manner that God desires? 
Would people say when they look at your life that you are an encourager who works hard? Or would people say that we're a discourager who doesn't really contribute much or help? I think all of us would want to be known as the former and not the latter. Courage and work, attitude and effort. This is the sweat equity, if you will, that you contribute to God's work. Whether that's rebuilding a temple 500 years before the birth of Christ, or how you're building your family, or your marriage, or how you're building your business. When the people of God work together, we bring about something that's greater than the sum of our individual parts. And that's because, Haggai says, spiritual power is unleashed when God's people come together and everyone adds what he or she can add and does his or her part. Spiritual power is unleashed and the Lord promises, I am with you. My spirit abides among you. Do not fear. And the Lord promises towards the end of the passage I read, because they're worried about, wow, where are all the resources going to come to rebuild this temple? They're all feeling, you know, really poor and impoverished. They're hurting. And, you know, it's kind of like the couple who was leaving the church after the pastor preached a really strong stewardship sermon about the importance of giving. And the husband is saying to the pastor as he walks out of the church, I'm so, so glad to hear you say you didn't know where the money was going to come from because I thought you wanted it from us. You know, and here in Haggai, the Lord says, you know, I'm the one. I'm, I will do it. I will shake. I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I'm going to shake the nations and I'm going to fill this house. I'm going to give you what you need. God promises to provide the resources for what the Lord is calling the people to do. And friends, we have been so blessed to see this happen over and over again here at BBC through the years. We just see this happen. Whatever we have felt led and called by God to do, God has <laughs> shaken and filled and given, and you have, and we've been able to do the next thing and the next thing. I mean, this, we're, we're a testament to what Haggai is saying. And you know, God still wants to be in relationship with people, and I believe one thing the Lord wants right now in our whole country is churches that are rebuilding and investing in their communities. This is just needed all across the country. And the challenge in our time is not so much rebuilding a physical temple. We're really blessed with the facility we have and how we're able to care for it. Now, the real task today is rebuilding hope. It's helping those in need. It's sharing God's love in Christ in practical ways that even those who don't share our faith can't ignore. And churches that welcome people and groups into their facilities while releasing people and resources into their communities to engage their communities, it has a rippling effect in every place where God has placed a church. The renovation we recently did at Cape Cod Foster Closet that we shared about at the annual meeting, that's just one example. The generosity of this church in responding to needs both locally and as far away as Ukraine is another amazing example of this truth. And we engage in acts of generous grace in response to the generous grace that God has shown to each and every one of us. For Christians, the temple of God is no longer a physical building. It's a spiritual house. It's the church that Paul says in Ephesians is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. 
Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are built together in the Spirit into a dwelling place for God. We are all called to the faithful building up of the body of Christ. And I can tell you at this moment, you know, what do we need to be doing? We need, frankly... We need to be rebuilding our volunteer base after two years of COVID. We need to be identifying and developing leaders. And we need to be helping people emotionally who are hurting and struggling after all that has taken place and is continuing to take place in our world. And these are similar tasks that faced Haggai and the people of his time. And just like then, we need people to engage and participate and work. For example... We really need some nursery volunteers so we can welcome young families again. We need folks who might be willing to take a turn assisting Jenny with children's worship or to help us in Sunday school. Our task today is not so much to build a physical temple, but to build a community like Haggai needed to do. Our task is to rebuild our spiritual house, which is the church, and also to take it out into the community in every way that we can. It's always a great witness when we can say the church has left the building. So remember, things get worse when you don't put God first. But when we take courage and work, we can help fulfill God's purpose in our time. Those who follow Jesus Christ and believe God's Son lived and died and rose for us. That God is still with us even and especially in difficult times. And we believe that God's spirit dwells in our midst, in and among us. And this same God promises to provide all that we need for the work the Lord calls us to do at this time and in this moment for God's future to be accomplished in and through us. If we will take courage and work You can be God's agent of change and transformation everywhere you go. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the words of the prophets. We thank you for their faithfulness, and we thank you for Haggai's courage. And just as you stirred up the spirit of the leaders and the people, We pray, God, that you would stir up our our spirits, that we might serve faithfully, that we would work hard by your grace to bring transformation and change in our time, which is so sorely needed. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.